So you light bold red wine most of the time With notes of fig and raisin You like a cold brew and pitching horseshoes As the sun is fading You like football games and dishing out nicknames The Godfather's one and two But not so fast, we got a podcast We like that too we like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. Hey, welcome back. Bon vivants to the We Like That Too podcast. I'm Brad Jones, and joining me, of course, is the head Bon Vivant himself, Mr. Keith Inlow. Hola. From the Bon Vivant International Media That's right. Center. Back here in the friendly confines again. The friendly confines. The nice, quiet confines, which we like. So far, we had a few thunderstorms roll through earlier today, so. Which we need. You mean rain? Yes. Yeah, I kind of wondered, I kind of wondered what, what that, that moisture was falling yeah, from was the, good. from the earth. Just but in time for good. the spring plants. Yeah, I know. It's been, yeah. it's, it's been horrible. At least where we are. Yeah. Anybody north or south seems to have more water than they need. Yeah. Not here. That's all right. We did our potted plants this past weekend and it was great. So. Very good. Very I, good. We I'll got tell a good you show what. Today. Yeah. We're, and this is, this is a first. It is. A little roll on the drum. Uh, <laughs> Oh, shoot. Where are you with the sound effects when we need them? I don't know. Wait a minute here. Wait. No. That, that's the disco That'll work. one. That'll work. That, that's, that's really Okay. Good. Well. A first for the We Like That Too podcast. <laughs> as far as guests go, we've done music. We've done acting. We've done movies and theater. We've done uh, a lot of different stuff. We have never done an author before. We haven't. And reading is essential to the Bon Vivant lifestyle, let's be honest. So we are very excited today to have as our guest in the studio mystery author. And he's more than just a mystery author. I don't want to I don't want to just frame him like that. He's a journalist, he's a, a writer, uh, but he, most recently mystery author Richard McGonagall. Richard, thank you for being here today. We're excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank, thank you so much for inviting me. I really do appreciate this opportunity. And I, yeah, and I'm anxious to hear about these books. Uh, a fellow Bon Vivant kind of prompted me to call Richard. He was on our list when we made up our list over two years ago of people to talk to. You've been on the list for a while. Oh. Fellow friend uh, was reading one of your books and posted about it online, and I thought, by golly, let's have him on. He's just released his third in a series, I believe, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But so we're glad to have you after too long a wait. Did you start in the newspaper business? Um, is is that how you got when you got out of school? Where where did you go from there? Because we were talking earlier that you're you're an East Coast guy. Yeah. yeah. You how, how did you end up here in the great Midwest? Well, I'll give you the shorter version of a long story. Um, when I was working my way through graduate school at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, um, I worked at Mrs. Weldon's uh, farm. That uh, she, right. she, she had a small farm out there. And, and the Weldons uh, were the publisher of the Jefferson City Jefferson News City Tribune. Jefferson City newspaper. Yeah. And, um, and I was looking toward uh, teaching as a profession. And But at the time, this was 1975, they the, were doing some serious cutbacks in, in higher education and um, the new grads like I would have been were competing with uh, people who had three and five years experience who were not getting reappointment or tenure so she said to me she said I you're a very good worker and 
I know you have skills in the English language because you're getting your master's degree in that. Would you consider working at a newspaper? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and she said, it's in Missouri. And I thought, okay. <laughs> I really don't. Now I really don't know. <laughs> and, um, but you know, I thought, well, you know, what, what's the worst that could happen? And, uh, and so I packed everything I owned into a half of uh didn't even fill up a 1966 Dodge Coronet station wagon and drove a thousand miles out here and uh that's where I started out in 19 January 1976 I started with the newspaper okay and um you know whenever the things start started to get a little bit uh routine they offered me a a new opportunity, and um, yeah, what'd you start as? I mean, I, I started as a general assignment reporter. Okay, so you were just doing just beat do, stories well, and stuff like that, features, obits, yeah, I yeah. mean, everything. We, yeah. you know, whatever they threw at me. Yeah, and eventually yeah. led to the editorship. Correct. Yeah. yeah, and that's where you retired from a couple of years ago. Precisely. How okay. long were you editor? Uh, well, I was. I don't know exactly. Uh, I was my career there was uh, forty one years. How long did he do it, or how long did he have the title? That <laughs> well, yeah. is what he's trying to tell us. I was us. going for the title, actually. Yeah, it, it wasn't too terribly long. I was a general assignment reporter, and then I was able to. Uh, they gave me uh, the uh, county beat, which is where I really learned a lot about what I do now. Yeah. Um, and that's why this uh, profession that I'm doing these days, um, I got some background. You know, I met a lot of uh, interesting people, including sheriffs and judges and prosecutors yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and people who play a dramatic role in in what I do these days. And um, and I got to learn a little bit about the judiciary and the and the law enforcement and those things. So. All right. um, it really played into the, the back background of what I do today. Well, we're going to do a deeper dive on that in a minute, but we need to keep things in order, yes. Mr. Jones. Yes, yes. And as you Mix, know, you, the, you miss, mixologist, you. Well, yes. we did do a little mixing today. We're going to do we a did. we're going to do a mocktail today, um, and because of the spring season and with summer coming on, um, we thought it might be fun to do something that would be kind of refreshing, kind of different, and so I found this. A mocktail recipe that really intrigued me. It is called, um, we've renamed it. We're going to call it the pineapple sunrise, but it looks a lot like a tequila sunrise in the glass. Would you not agree, gentlemen? Your separation is lovely. Yeah, I floated that. You floated it. So well. here's what it is. It's three parts pineapple juice, one part lime juice, and then you finish it off in a, a glass full of ice with club soda and float some cranberry juice on top, and that gives it that ombre effect of a red into orange into deeper yellow and that kind of thing. So it's very pretty. It's very pretty. It's got a little uh, lime wedge on it. You'll see the picture on the website. and uh, Expertly taken, yeah, by So let's way. see what it tastes like. I haven't even tasted this thing yet, so it may be... <laughs> <laughs> and most of the wines and things we've tasted, we have tasted them before, if if not an hour before, you know. You know, the, here's what I'm pleasantly surprised at with this. I thought it would be really sweet, and I think that lime juice. No, that lime juice is going to put a little that lime juice really it. brings some tartness to it. It's um, it's not overly sweet to me. <laughs> what do you think, Richard? I agree. It's uh, it's got some tartness to it, and it's very refreshing. It is very refreshing. It's, it's tropical in nature, Absolutely. I would say. Uh, something that you might see on a beach in Cancun somewhere. That's tasty. Um, That's good. So the pineapple sunrise, ladies and gentlemen. Good news about it is you can get all your ingredients at your grocery store pretty simply. Yeah. We garnished it with a lime wedge. I think you could do a lot of different things. I actually tried to think about something that we might coat the 
rim of the glass with. Mm-hmm. But I really couldn't come up with anything that I thought would work very well. I'm thinking you could me, use a sugar if you wanted sugar, to. Sugar that that might make it too sweet. What about like a chili a chili lime sugar? Wake you up, know? that'll wake up your lips. Not too yeah. much. Not so much that it would be stinging or overpowerfully hot, but just to give it a little uh, little kick, maybe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the other thing you can do with this too, you can make, you can make a, a nice, pretty pitcher, a big, a bigger one. Right. And you know, when the family comes over and the kids would be all over that. You sure. Know, so if you don't, if you want to go ahead and mix it all up, you can certainly do that. But you can, the, the way you can get the effect in the glass is you just mix your lime and pineapple together, have it all pre-mixed. And then it's just, it's just more pouring into the glass and layering it in the glass. You can still get the same effect. But do it in quantity. I cert- I agree. Yep. Certainly. But it'd be great in a jug. Yeah. Mix it up in a jug. Put it in a thermos. You picnic. Put it in a uh, yeah. a punch bowl. You know? Yeah. So there's a mocktail for float, you. Float the limes on top. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh. Little, little, put the limes. Freeze the limes in an ice ring. There you and go. Put it in a punch bowl. And there you go. We're geniuses. We're geniuses. <laughs> Surprise ourselves just, just, sometimes. Just ask us. <laughs> Richard's just blown away by this, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. I'm impressed by how excited you guys get about it. Richard, wake is, up. It's your turn. You're ready. We're ready to go again. All right. We're back to you. Now, <laughs> so you alluded to the point that what you learned on your um, reporting for the newspaper has, has led you to this new – it is a new career, isn't it? I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you retired and you got into writing novels. Correct. All right. I want to know how long you had been thinking about writing novels before you did that. Well, I began writing short stories um, after my uh, first daughter was born back okay. in, uh, that'd be 1985. Yeah. And I had my first story published in 1988, I believe. As I, as I, and I had some success. I published a number of short stories over the years. I had always wanted to write a novel. Mm hmm. And I had made an effort. Um, in fact, my second novel, Ghoul Duty, started as a short story and it wouldn't contain in this, in this shorter format. And so I thought, well, I'll just turn it, I'll, I'll let it breathe and we'll, we'll see if, if it, it turns itself into a novel. And I found that the process, when I was working a 40-plus hour a week job, um, that the process of trying to write a novel and keep the plot and the subplots and the number of characters uh, going was – I just had too many balls in the air. It's so just to too speak. taxing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And, and so, I, you know, I'd think, well, I'll, I'll, I'll stay up. I'll, I'll work in the evenings. And, <laughs> and, and then it was like, well, now I'm not getting enough sleep. So I thought, well, I'll get up early in the mornings and I'll write. And then it's like, oh, now I got to get ready for work. So I thought when I retire, that's what I'm going to devote myself to okay. is, is to really um, trying to work on the longer form. So I, you know, I, I learned what I could, and and then just dedicated myself to doing that. Once I had the luxury of time that retirement affords, yeah, you know. So yeah, yeah it's I've heard that's a great well. thing. I'm looking forward to it. Hemingway got up really early in the morning, and he he would write all all morning, and then he would basically miss drink beating. all afternoon. Then he would misbehave for the rest of the day. Yeah, and he wrote standing up. By the way, well, at a little hmm. Underwood Grady at uh, typewriter. Interesting. Yeah. Well. We know that you're a trained journalist and stuff, and so you obviously went to school for writing and that kind of thing. But in that kind of training, does that give you any instruction or preparation for writing even short, if, you know, fiction, short stories, certainly the novel? Where do you learn that kind of thing? 
well, about form and and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, the the virtues of uh, the you know the foundational material is uh, common to both, and so you know just writing journalistically, mm-hmm. sentence structure, clarity of sentences, vocabulary, uh, spelling, right? <laughs> some of the some of the basic elements are are common to both. Uh, the difference is that, you know, in journalism, and, and I had a problem when I t- took some classes in, in uh, fiction writing mm-hmm. when I was in graduate school. And um, when I first started writing journalistically, I was trying to save the punch for the end. <laughs> yeah. And the editors uh, had to disabuse me of that notion. And I say, think they kind of want it the other way around, <laughs> exactly. don't they? you got to put the most important thing right up here at the front. And, and so with regard to the, the difference between the short story and journalism was, you know, just having to basically reverse the process mm-hmm. almost. The difference between the short stories and the, the novels was having to keep so many many different types of things, you know, in mind, yeah. you know, the plots and the subplots. So many arcs moving exactly, through the story. Yeah. Precisely. Well, I guess that's that's more what I was referring to is that outline, that moving outline, the structure, the the movement of plot, of character development, of clues, of, of plot elements, that kind of thing. Can you learn that kind of thing or do you, is it trial and error? Interestingly, um, and I didn't realize this until I went to my first writing conference. Uh, I went to Killer Nashville in 2019. Um, it's a mystery writers conference in Nashville, Tennessee. And kill, I, it was kill, Killer Nashville. Killer Nashville. Yeah. Well, that's getting, killer right, Nashville. getting right to the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, one of the things that I learned is that writers tend to divide themselves into two categories. And the one is called the plotters, P-L-O-T-T-E-R-S, because they devise outlines and work from, from an outline. Mm-hmm. And um, probably the, the the most well-known quintessential plotter is Jeffrey Deaver. I don't know if you yes, know him, but sure. mystery yeah. thriller writer. Yeah. And he has been known to write outlines up to 100-plus pages. And really, all he has to do is convert it to sentence form. Yeah, fill in, know, fill in the blanks. Kind of right? like, <laughs> like, like putting, no, no pun intended, putting the flesh on the skeleton. Pretty much. Yeah. Exactly. I like that analogy, by the way. That, that's a great analogy. <laughs> Did I t- have I ever told you you're a genius? I'm a genius. Genius. <laughs> the other group are called the Pantsers. P-A-N-T-S-E-R-S. Oh, pan- I was, Pantsers. Okay. I was thinking as like in, a... As in fly by the seat of your pants. Okay. Ah. Interesting. And, and, and the Pantsers typically will start with anything. They'll start with a, an interesting character, with a, a, a clue, a plot device, a, yeah. a scene, um, whatever tickles their fancy. And then they just take off and start writing. Yeah. Um, I am probably, I am a pantser who is trying to learn a little bit more about being a plotter. Yeah. In fact, tomorrow evening, there's a, one of the uh, writing groups I'm associated with is having a seminar on, on outlining and, mm-hmm. and, and plotting. And I plan to, it's online, so I plan to sit in on that, obviously, to learn more about how that's done. But I've never been able to do it successfully. Yeah. I, um, I want to write. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and what I found is that there is this kind of middle ground that some writers have adapted to, what which really appeals to me, and it's probably the, the way I tend to do things, and that is I have a very loose plot in my head mm-hmm. uh, where I have, you know, point A to B to C and kind of to D, you know, to the ending. 
And then I, you know, I tried to develop, really work on the character development and get to know those characters and then try to allow them to work within a very, the wide parameters of the story. Because what I find is if I plot too specifically, then it, the story kind of gets contrived. Yeah. Because I've got to move somebody from A to B and I've got to get them there. So sometimes I insinuate myself in the story to, you know, to, to make that happen. Whereas if I give the character more latitude, then they kind of more naturally do what they would normally do to get there. Okay. And I, I find that as a reader much more satisfying. I don't like contrivance in, in the books I read and, and it bothers me when I see it. So I don't want to, uh, become one of those people who does it to others. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, Keith's written scripts and, and, and as I was kind of working through my outline, um, Keith's written scripts, I've attempted a couple of them. And, and I think the thing that when you're writing a script, too, you get to a certain point where you sort of feel like you know your character a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you think, well, now, wait a minute. He or she wouldn't do that. That's done. Right. Let's go. Right. What would? What if they went this way right. instead of right. this way? And it's always amazed me with novels. And I, that explanation, by the way, was fantastic because I sit and I think when you're reading a book and you're like, how did they figure out that if they're going to do this now, that they alluded to that all the way back at the beginning of the book? That was genius yeah, yeah, yeah i mean it really is yeah. you know that was so that was actually a question that i that i had on here i said and the other one that i had was it's got to be fun because you've got you've got a reoccurring character in francis hood mm-hmm. and so talk through that a little bit because you you think you know francis at the very first book but i bet you know francis even better as you've worked through three books now with him being your star attraction Talk about that just yeah. for a little bit. No, absolutely. I mean, as as the character evolves, and you know, and and the characters are everything in the book is is a combination of my experience and my imagination. So there is there is some of me in in Sheriff Hood, you know, and there's some of it that I that I just made up. And so I kind of know him, but I don't entirely know him. But as he gets involved in different kinds of situations and has to face different kinds of problems and dilemmas, I, I get to know him better. And one of the things about, you know, the loosely based, you know, letting the characters kind of do their thing is that sometimes I get surprised. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, it's like, I, I, so it becomes fun for me as a writer because it's like, yeah, that's what they would normally do, but I hadn't thought of that previously until they did it. And, um, and it sometimes occurs with Francis because, um, I, I think of him as, as, as having a certain set of principles mm-hmm. that are his operating principles. Well, let, let's and, introduce him okay i mean brad did a little bit but let's 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 step back one step and sort of let you tell us how you came up with the character who is he is he based on anyone is he a conglomeration of characters um you know they say write what you know Mm -hmm. and so so tell us you know your your first book what's the series where is it set who's the primary character maybe some supporting cast who is this guy okay introduce him to us the sheriff you know mystery writers have a whole gamut of people they can choose from they can choose you know private detectives they can choose amateur sleuths they can do procedurals with you know police law enforcement officials um 
I was always attracted to the sheriff, one, because that's what I covered that as, as a journalist. So I got to know sheriffs up, up you know, Wyman Basie here. I, we, I, I wasn't going to mention his name, <laughs> but there's one that comes to mind for the people at this table. Well, he was, was iconic. There's was, no was, doubt about He was it. iconic. And I, and, and, you know, and, he, and I got to know him and, and, and spent a lot of time with him and John Hamar after that and, um, Greg White mo- yeah. most recently. Yeah. And, um, and it, coincidentally, um, you know, the, they are, um, no, Wyman, of course, has passed away, but, um, you know, John and, and, and Greg both have been known to read my books in advance sometimes and, um, you know, and help me out, particularly because I'm not an expert on those kinds of things. I've well, never well, right. the criminology part of it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know those I, I want to get to that in a minute, yeah. but, uh, okay. Well, let me, no, yeah, no, yeah. let me just stay yeah. with, stick with the sheriff thing. But, you know, but the, but, um, so the sheriff appealed to me as lead figure or lead protagonist. And also because I always think of the sheriffs as knowing, being less by the book and more just kind of knowing the community, knowing everybody, being, you know, being kind of part of the fabric of, of, of a community. Also, you know, I just have a sense that somehow they are, um, less officious and more, you know, open, open to, to people and to, and to yeah. community events and that sort of thing. So I like the I fact think most that, people would agree with yeah. that. Do, do you find also, and I'm inserting this, I don't know if this is the case with, with your, with your character or not, but, uh, they, they seem to be often liaisons between departments and things like that because they're not often running the show, but they're like, they're woven into these, you know, the state investigative bureau or the mm-hmm. local police or they're kind of like they're moving in different circles and, but interconnected to all of them. Yes, I totally agree with that. And, and there's one book in particular where there is a task force. Yeah. And it includes a, a member of the police department, uh, members of the highway patrol, uh, sheriff's department and, um, the crime lab. Yeah. And, and they work together on, on a case. And, and, um, you know, I think you're right. I mean, that's, that's exactly right. That somehow the sheriff sometimes almost is not only the, a member of that, but somehow the glue. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's almost like he can move between all these different levels. Somehow. He has to get along with everybody. Yeah. Kind of yeah. segue <laughs> among all these different, different groups. And, yeah. um, Cool. Yeah. So, all right. So, one of the things that I noticed about him in, in the descriptions that I've read and that you provided for us, so he's a flawed character. Yes. Okay. Tell us a little bit about how you came up with who he is personally and what that looked like. Would you describe him as an, a hero, an anti-hero, a, a flawed human? How would you define him that way? One of the things that, um, and it's not uncommon if you read much literature in, in the mystery genre, alcoholism is something that is not uncommon necessarily yeah. among protagonists. Um, in this case, the sheriff is in recovery. Okay. And... Um, and one of the things that I have tried to do is to have him use some of these principles from recovery, honesty, willingness, open-mindedness, mm-hmm. humility, tolerance, um, and those kinds of things, to embrace those principles and to bring those into every aspect of who he is, yeah. uh, including his family, which eventually, as the series progresses, uh, you know, they reunite. In the third book, they're together. His wife and child are back, and they're together. Okay. And um, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> and don't give anything away oh, here, sorry. Richard. Okay. No, we're going to try and help you sell some okay. books too. So. <laughs> um, and, but also in his, in his career, in his law enforcement. I mean, he uh, has become a much more. Um, you know, I 
I appreciate is you know some of the hard boiled noir you yeah. know mystery stuff. It, it's 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 a it's a part of the genre that I that I like. Um, but I don't see him that way. Yeah. I see him for one of a better phrase as a kinder, gentler, so, some softer edges, uh, maybe law, law enforcement officer yeah. today, and somebody who really tries to see things from the perspective of others to you know to have some compassion. And to have some empathy, uh, you know, for for the people that he has to deal with. Tell us about the three novels. Just give a quick synopsis of the stories. How how'd you come up with them? What's the crime that's being okay. investigated? Yeah. Ghoul Duty was the first one that I actually story that I messed with, but it was not the first book I published. Okay. So the first book that was published was Sense of Grace. You know, in that, I, I was asking myself, you know, what type of person, what type of criminal would would a sheriff hate to have to protect because i mean you're, you're sworn to serve and protect and and if there was a crime a criminal uh, who was very despicable you know how how would you feel about that and i said well what's the most despicable crime and i you know there's a there's a lot yeah <laughs> a lot yeah. to choose from there um but i came up with the the, the person who did the family massacre and that was Jacob Grace. And so the book starts with him being released from prison 30 years, almost 30 years after uh, he went to prison on a guilty plea. And the book begins with him being, uh, Hood's sitting with him on the side of the road. Um, he's been, he's had his ear cut off and he's, and he's been mutilated that way. Basically, the evolution is that he has to look into helping this fellow or at least finding out who did these kinds of things. And he's, he's, he's drawn to the sole survivor of the massacre was, was his surviving daughter who's now in her thirties and she's a renowned artist and illustrator. He's, she's his, one of his prime suspects because she's the lone survivor of the yeah, massacre. Yeah. And so that's, you know, how, how the, how the book begins. And then, you know, as it evolves, she becomes kind of a, an ally in, in many ways. In many ways, she, she kind of helps him. So, okay. uh, ghoul duty, the backdrop of ghoul duty is, is the, uh, the flood of, basically, I, I base it on the flood of 93. Flood of 93, yeah. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, it takes place in Missouri River flooding. And, and in actuality, the, the hardened cemetery was washed out. You bet. There and, were several cemeteries and, along uh, Missouri that and, were, uh, were washed away. Yeah. And, and, and in my treatment, I remember when they did when it when it happened in in reality, they enlisted everybody who had a John boat basically to go out and you know let's retrieve these these coffins and corpses and mm-hmm. and so the sheriff's department was part of that and that's what happens in this case and and they retrieve a body and then find out it didn't come from the cemetery. It's, not from the cemetery, yeah. <laughs> it's a new one, yeah. So yeah that, like, that sounds intriguing okay. to me. Yeah. <laughs> now we got to find out who this guy is. Where did come yeah, from? Yeah, where did that come from? And then your latest one is the forget me not. You know the the theme that I was playing with there was you know the you know how does the the baggage that we accumulate you know in our lives affect our choices and decisions going forward. What I've got there is the sheriff's daughter actually finds an arm bone in the woods, and um, they eventually uh, trace it to a missing person who is the patriarch of a family that owns a newspaper <laughs> oddly <laughs> enough um in the community and yeah. very very powerful very wealthy family in the community and he's involved in, a, in an election campaign and um some of the the family members are opposed to to him for their own reasons and so he has to basically investigate people who are trying to take his job away <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. losing the election all right intriguing
Here's my question. I want to get to the business part of this for a minute. Okay. Good. Because everybody that, that sits around out there and thinks, I could write a novel. Well, okay, go ahead and write one. Now what are you going to do with it? That's the, that's the question. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about the process of getting a book published because – it's not easy. You just, unless, you know, I talk a little bit about self-publishing and some of the, the other avenues that you've got, but what was your, what was your journey on that? Uh, I was very, very fortunate. I was uh, one of my beta readers when I, when I first written Sense of Grace, I was, um, querying, they call it querying. You write a query letter, mm-hmm. Q-U-E-R-Y, and, um, to publishers or, or agents and a lot of the bigger publishers and there are fewer now. It's kind of like the newspaper business. Right. They're consolidating. They have consolidated, there's a, yeah. a lot of imprints, but they're all, there's only like five major publishers and they don't take unsolicited submissions. A lot of them, unless you have an agent, you can't even get your manuscript through the door, so to speak. And um, I was using, you know, trying to, you know, trying to find an agent without any success. And, and one of my beta readers said, have you, have you, tried um, a regional publisher and i said well i didn't know there were regional publishers goes, oh yeah he says you know a lot of them are connected with universities and such and um so i went home and i you know got on my search engine and regional M- midwest and missouri publishers and ding 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 it's like the bingo board lit up wow and um yeah there were a bunch of them so i started querying them and i was able to land with a, uh, an out uh, publishing company in, in warrensburg missouri as my publishers okay. in warrensburg yeah cave hollow press is what it's called and the three editors i know cave hollow oh do you oh yes i okay. do okay yes it was quite a party spot when i was in college <laughs> oh, did you go to it's a really missouri? cool it's a re- yeah i did it's okay. a really cool natural uh cave rock formation oh, okay. uh, out near, in, in warrensburg but well, yeah i, I was i wasn't aware of that yeah, yeah. But the, uh, the editors and publishers there are, uh, professors who are, are connected with University of Central Missouri. One is retired. One is a retired professor emeriti and another is, is still a professor there in physics of all things. But it's kind of a labor of love for them. They said, you know, we like your, we like your book. We'd like to publish it. They paid me what's called an advance, which sure. is, you know, you get half of it. They're very good about it. And I heard, I've not heard that this is always the case. What, what's their plan then for distribution? Yeah. How does That's, it get distributed and how can people get their hands on yeah, it? Yeah. It, it's printed by Ingram, which apparently is, I don't know a lot about the printing business, but they had, they take care of that. Okay. You know, they, they actually have a person who designs the cover, um, who's a contracted with them. And I think she does a wonderful job. Yeah, they look yeah, great. Yeah, they I think look she great. does. She's very professional. Yeah. And they do all the typesetting and the book is available. Um, you know, any bookstore can, can get it. Um, but it's also available on Amazon in, okay. in a print and a Kindle version. Okay. And if that doesn't work, you can Google Cave Hollow Press. Okay. And it'll take you right to the Amazon site. Okay. okay. Well, Bon Vivants will post those links and stuff on the website. Thank you. And so you can easily find these books and, and know how to access them. Interesting, interesting journey. So the the question I have uh, as we get into the, the murder mystery part of this stuff is the forensics, the detail, the technology, the science, all that kind of stuff. Where do you go? 
Who do you access to research that kind of thing? Because we in the theater world know that there are nitpickers on authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, that that soldier didn't have the right shoulder patch on his uniform. So they're going to call you out on that kind of stuff. Where are you going to get that deep dive on technology, forensics, science, lab work, testing, that kind of stuff? I have a person. <laughs> I, have I a know guy. a person. I have a guy. I have a yeah. guy. All right. Um, well, and if you don't want to name names, that's fine. Well, but I mean, I, I, like, give us an example of how how they have connections and things. Someone within the uh, the uh, crime lab, okay, um, has been willing to read my materials okay. and help me yeah. with questions. And um, you know, because I, what I found, and you're right, I mean, there are, uh, you call them nitpickers, but there are people who are very, very, you know, and that's what they do. I mean, they're professionals at this. Sure. Right? And as I said before, I'm not. You know, I'm not a I'm not a forensic scientist. You know, I don't have that uh, that yeah. expertise. Well, you want to be authentic. I mean, but I do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, my my grandfather was a police officer, and watching police shows used to drive him crazy because of the artistic license they would take with police procedure. And so, yeah, I get it. That's what I heard. And, and that's what I've heard. And, I, and also, it goes to credibility. You know, if I make a mistake and somebody sees that obviously that was wrong, that kind of destroys my entire credibility, yeah, I believe. Yeah. So, yes, I, I, I try to insist as best I can on accuracy and not being wrong. The virtue of, you know, of any writing really is, um, any fiction writing is you can be as vague. I mean, you can be as vague as you need to be. If you don't know it, right. you know, don't put it in there. Don't yeah, guess. Right. Don't, don't, you know, don't just take a whack at it. Yeah. And I have found that Google is not necessarily your friend all the time. <laughs> what? Wait a minute. Wikipedia is everything not on the, the internet is not true. <laughs> Oh, you're bursting my bubble. You know, I'm, I, I've looked up things that say that this is the, you know, the case in terms of forensic science, and I run it by the person who I know who is a forensic scientist. Yeah, he says, yeah. not necessarily so. <laughs> well, you know, anybody that follows crime investigation, even in real life, knows the technology is increasing by leaps and bounds Absolutely. all the time. Sure. How do you even keep up with it? You know, it's it's not unlike our real world today. Mm-hmm. Technology, every time you turn around, Brad and I have talked about this before when we started the podcast, we knew nothing about the technology behind it. And uh, you know what? One of our sponsors actually can help you with that. That's right. Missouri River Region Library has one-on-one tech time. And if you have a technical problem with your computer, your smart TV, telephone, things like that, you can take it down there, and they will give you one-on-one tech time to help figure that stuff out. You don't have to call your grandkids If you anymore. can't find a 12-year-old, Yeah, you can't find a teenager, to take library. it to the library. That's so, right. That's right. Uh, yeah, reach out with that. And it's uh, experts at the library. Check your local library services. So patronize your local library, everyone. And we appreciate uh, Missouri River Regional Library for being a sponsor of the show. And, and check out the one-on-one tech time if you're needing help with technical issues. So. I bet we can even find your books over there. You can, as we actually, say, it's it's not a place for old for old it's dusty not just books a anymore. Building full of books anymore, but yeah. And I appreciate what you said about the library because they have been very gracious to me. Um, it's so wonderful that you know the libraries hosted me for author talks there, and they they uh, you know they repeatedly ask me whenever I'm yeah. in there. I know a lot of them by name, and you know they ask me if I when I've got a new book coming out, and they do have my books on the shelf, and and they they're. they're is just wonderful to me so they're a great resource for all sorts of things and they're a huge supporter of the community and thank you missouri river regional library and uh, well 
Richard, what else do you want to tell us? One of the one of the questions that I'm asked fairly frequently, you know, as as I do uh, book signings or or appearances some somewhere, you know, one of the things they ask is, you know, where do you get your ideas? That's always one of the you know, key questions that I get. You know, from, from the way I typically respond is that, you know, I ask you know, myself the what if question, you know, what if, yeah. what if this were to happen or, you know, what if that were to happen? And just to get a different slant on reality, one of my favorite examples was one of the short stories I wrote. And it was, uh, we were at a, a funeral in a very uh, rural church and there was a cemetery right across the gravel road. Mm-hmm. And um, after the service, the pallbearers were walking the casket to the cemetery, and we were all in line behind. And the sky was just ominous. I mean, it was very threatening. And and I, and I thought, oh, what if a tornado <laughs> broke out <laughs> while we're trying to do the <laughs> the graveside part of the service? And then I thought, what if a tornado carried the coffin away? <laughs> and it was, and it was, uh, you know, it was basically the genesis for one of one of my favorite short stories um, called Mysterious Ways. And 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 it's it's those kinds of things, you know, the what if this, what if that, you know, that um, just take a, any random you know experience that you have yeah. you know, while, while it's happening and just go put a little different perspective, yeah. different slant yeah. on it. Sometimes it can be the real yeah. seed that that from which a story can sprout. How can Bon Vivants access your short stories? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's work on that. Come on yeah, over to the house. Let's work know. on I, that. You know, one of the things maybe I a would, website or something. Of, like one of that. the things I would I would like to do, and it, it's just it will depend obviously on, and because compilations of short stories are typically frowned on by publishers, they tend not to sell yeah. very well. Yeah. Um, but I noticed that Cave Hollow has a certain affinity for the short story format. I think it's just because the the editors and publishers really like those. Yeah, yeah. And they have done collections of them. So I might at some point um, just sound them out to see if if they might be interested in something like that. I have, I have to say as a young reader, as a teenager and, and a pre-teenager – Short stories is what got me hooked on reading. Mm-hmm. I certainly remember reading O. Henry and the short stories and things like that, uh, you know, Stephen Crane and in school before I ever got into long no- <laughs> The first novel we were mm-hmm. forced to read was Great Expectations oh, by Charles Dickens. And I, well, it was a long time before I read another novel <laughs> Tri- at all. Trial by fire. <laughs> well, and I enjoyed – and a, a lot of science fiction writers wrote in, in short stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray Bradbury yeah, Ray was Bradbury. one that I – Oh, yeah, Bradbury, Asimov. Asimov well, even guys. Stephen King's was, uh, you know, has a lot of his short stories were later developed, but he's got a lot of really great short stories. Mm-hmm. So uh, very spooky. I'm all for short stories. I love them. Yep, me too. And you know, most plays, most scripts are short stories, is what mm-hmm. they are uh, in in short form. Yeah. So Okay, let's move on to the third part of the program. I'm very proud of mine too. I am I'm too, and so I'll tell you why. I am too. I'll tell you. We do this to ourselves all the time. We pick these categories, and then they are too big, too big, way <laughs> too, too big. big. It's only and three. So, yeah, but we cheat. Yeah, we <laughs> and cheat. we are. We do and honorable mentions, and we're cheaters, and, and we're uh, kings of the rabbit holes. Yeah, so, we go down know. a lot of rabbit holes. So here's today's Bon Vivants. Here's today's three top picks in order of Richard McGonagall, the murder mystery writer, and uh, his favorite genre. We are going to do the three top fictional sleuths. You know, this is TV, literature, cinema, theater, wherever. The, the, the fictional sleuth, three top. There's too many of them. 
Well, we could have just chosen one movie, of those could genres. Done, you could have just done movies. Movies, or you yeah. Could have just done TV. But I, although I there are some crossovers, there are a lot of crossovers there, because true. a lot of them are adapted into other formats. That's true. So okay, that's true. So here's the deal, Richard. We start with the guests first, and you just do one at a time. Okay. And we'll go around. We'll each do, and there's in, in no particular order. And we do honorable mentions, and we cheat. And so, um, your first top pick as a fictional sleuth. My top pick, and I I thought about this a, a bit, and and I thought, you know, well, I, maybe I should pick somebody who's you know traditional, you know, like a Sherlock Holmes yeah, or yeah. A Hercule Poirot or you know something like that, Philip Marlowe. Um, but you know, I don't read that. I, I read more contemporary authors, and I, my top pick would be Spencer, who is Robert B. Parker's uh, Boston Private Eye. Yeah. And that was adapted to a TV show. There was, was not, a, with, um, Robert Urich. Was, Robert Urich, uh, yes, right. Spencer. And yes. also, they've done a movie, a Netflix movie, I believe, uh, Spencer Confidential, with uh, one of the Wahlbergs. I believe it was. Okay, I believe it was Matt. So okay. yes, it, it has been on screen adaptation. That's a good one. That's a good one. And, and I kind of went the same way. I I thought some of those are just givens. You know, those traditional, uh, the Agatha Christie characters, mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes, certainly. Even, even like the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew, mm-hmm. you know, for the, uh, the younger generations, the older generations, younger generation. But I kind of broke them down into, into genres, genres. So TV, I went with TV first and I couldn't get away from Columbo. Oh, uh, that's a good know, one. And yeah. A character written by Richard Levinson, played by Peter Falk. And the reason I think Columbo was so beloved was his style of lowering the defenses of the suspect. Because they thought he was such a bumbler, mm-hmm. and all oh you know oh, just one more thing just you know I forgot oh I forgot you know in his curmudgeon style and things like that he was so unassuming that I think it allowed him to get close to suspects and investigate without people even knowing it was happening you know and so I really and I thought Peter Falk was phenomenal as the actor as Columbo kind of made his mark. As Columbo, yeah, certainly. Yeah. And he's been a lot of other things, but I think I would say that's probably his trademark role. If I, if I may comment. Sure. Um, that's, this is, this is what it's all about. We're, I'm told that the, the Columbo character is based on a classic archetype in, in literature called the Iron, um, which is the character who pretends to know less than he really knows. Okay. And apparently he was the, you know, the one that they developed as a modern detective. Um, in that it to fit that archetype. That's not uncommon in some in some plays, which, which are murder mysteries. See? In that the investigator either appears to be a bumbler or mm-hmm. actually appears as another character. You don't even know he's the investigator mm-hmm. until he reveals himself later. So, th- but I've never heard that term, the iron mm, before. That's what Educational and, and entertaining. entertaining. <laughs> that's right. All right. That's right. All right, Doctor Jones. We would come home on uh, Sunday afternoon after church, and a little bit later in the afternoon, we had a we had a station. It was kind of the fourth station, if you remember, and it was KPLR. You had your big three, Channel Eleven, but, out, Channel of 11 out of St. Louis. And, Did one of you have to stand and hold the rabbit ear so you could get good reception? Practically, we it was could, before cable. We, I know we could get it. We could get it pretty well. Yeah. But on Sunday afternoon, they would have. Charlie Chan Theater. Okay. And, and there were 37 Charlie Chan movies that were made between 29 and 81. They had yeah. 
two or three different Charlie Chans. They had a couple of guys. Um, a guy named Sidney Toller was probably best did a known. bunch yeah, of them. And uh, Warner Ulles was another guy that, yeah. that did a bunch of those movies. But, you know, they were good stories. They were good. They, they, they were well written. They were yeah. thought out. They were pretty well acted. Yeah. And they were just, you know, I just love Charlie Chan. I actually <laughs> had Charlie Chan as an honorable mention on my TV genre because I would watch him late at night. Yeah. I was a, I've all, I'm a late nighter. I've always been a late nighter. So the whole family would be in bed and I'd be up watching late movies and they did Charlie Chan. And it is, he's controversial in that most of the actors who played him were not Asian. Yeah, I know. And so today that is frowned upon and it's looked upon in some circles to be uh, somewhat What's the word? Stereotypical well, and yeah. not, but there are certain circles who say it reflected well upon the Asian community at that time and that he was a, an educated, you know, he was uh, a smart professional, dude. smart <laughs> yeah. guy who communicated well with others, got along well with others. Cause he was also one of those detectives that was not controversial, not firing guns at people back and forth. He you used know. his brains. Yeah. yeah. So he was just a smart, but I agree. I, I was thoroughly entertained as a young person watching Charlie Chan movies. Yeah. I love the yeah. stories. The stories yeah. I thought were really, really good. So, yeah. so good call. All right. Back Number to two. you, Richard. I think, well, the one of the ones that I'm, I'm reading fairly extensively now is, um, that I'm really enjoying, uh, is, uh, Dave Roba show. The Louisiana detective, uh, the James Lee Burke writes about. He is again one of the, you know, flawed kind of mm-hmm. law enforcement officials. You know, for me, sometimes it's not just the character, but James Lee Burke to me is such a wonderful writer and his descriptions. I mean, the books are just so enjoyable. Um, that that's part of what makes the, the character so enjoyable. And who's me. the author? James Lee Burke. Cause I'm not familiar with that one, but okay. it sounds B-U-R-K-E. B-U-R-K-E. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah, okay. and Dave Roba show. Okay, and don't ask me to spell it. No, that's all right. It's got a. I'm sure it's got an E A U in it somewhere. It's got an E A U somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. like, like uh, go Tigers. Okay, so so I'm glad you yeah, mentioned um, these these serial again these serial characters because uh, a couple of the ones that I pulled from literature. My my first choice really is the K Scarpetta. Um, Patrick, Patricia Cornwell. Yeah. Patricia Cornwell is the author. Kay Scarpetta is the forensic pathologist mm-hmm. who gets involved in the crime investigation. She has a long series of, uh, novels. And so I've, I've read all of them and I, and I love that character, but there's a couple of honorable mentions in that Jonathan Kellerman with Alex Delaware and Milo Sturgis. Mm-hmm. And then uh, John Sanford with Lucas Davenport. I like all of those guys, the Prey novels, P-R-E-Y, Prey right. novels. Um, so those are sort of my my literature top picks. And, for- and if you like uh, Case Carpetta, may I suggest uh, there's a, a female uh, mystery writer named J.T. Ellison, and she has uh, Dr. Samantha Owens, okay, um, who is also a f- forensic pathologist, and those are very good. J.T. Ellison. Okay, good. Yeah. Those are all well-written. And again, each book stands alone. I read them in progression because I wanted to follow the arc of the character. Some really interesting supporting characters in those books, too. Mm-hmm. Really. I didn't go literary. Well, I'm, I'm not that smart. It's not everybody's so cup of tea. I know. But what I went with was um, – I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Turner Classic Movies, so I, I love TCM. And they recently just did – 
uh, a marathon of these of these movies, and that's with uh, good old Nick and Nora Charles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Thin Man movies. Yeah. yeah. You know, their fans got so pissed off when they found out that those two really weren't a couple. They weren't married. Because <laughs> they have the greatest chemistry yeah. on screen of any two people that are not that are not together. But they were very, very good friends. Oh, yeah. They were great, great. They were like brother and sister off camera. Yeah, the Thin Man movies. And they did they made them from let's see, thirty four to 47 so it had yeah, that's a long they had a long run how yeah, many movies were uh, there? seven seven that's of them. a pretty yeah. nice franchise yeah. dashiell hammett wrote him um, oh, okay yeah. i don't think i knew that he wrote the, well he wrote the first one but and then they <laughs> they got real imaginative with the names too they had um yeah they had the thin man they had after the thin man <laughs> Uh, this is my favorite one. <laughs> Return uh, of the Thin Man. <laughs> almost. No, another Thin Man. And then they had The Shadow of the Thin Man, and The Thin Man Goes Home, and Song of the Thin Man. Now, there I don't know go. if they tried to make The Thin Man. A musical? I don't know if that's a musical or not. But Ooh, you know, that's maybe a, The thin, thin Man, the musical. Thin Man, the musical. The Broadway musical. I don't think you can. If you don't do it with William Powell and Myrna Loy, I don't know that yeah. you can do it. <laughs> do you like those? Did you, I love those. Those, those are right. movies. So, yeah. They were iconic characters, they no were doubt about it. So yeah. there's that's a good call. Good back call. then, those would be the kings of the one-liners because yes. those guys zinged at each and she she was she maybe got some of the best lines of the whole of oh, all those was, movies. She was like the uh, Gracie Allen of the team. She was she, she was a little one-line zinger, and, and he kind of played goes, the straight man. Yeah. You know? And uh, they may have more good cocktail uh, quotes from of any movies that I know of because they've got a bunch. That was <laughs> the golden. That was the golden of days of uh, <laughs> elegant parties and yeah, you know, that kind of thing. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call. Good I don't, call. I don't, I don't, I don't know how they could drink so many martinis and still solve the crime. Well, we <laughs> talked about that. With yeah, Mad, know. you know, with Mad Men, how every office had a a rolling cocktail mm. bar in it, and they started drinking at nine <laughs> o'clock in the morning. It's like, how these guys? That's why they had a couch in their yeah. in their office so they could sleep. Take a nap. And, yeah. So. All right. Third one, Richard. Well, I'm or gonna, any honorable mentions you've got to throw in there too. This would be kind of uh, a dual uh, thing. Um, I'm a big fan of Michael Connelly, the the, oh, uh, yeah. the author. Yeah. And, um, and of course, Harry Bosch is his quintessential <laughs> character. We, we doubled Bosch, uh, oh, and that uh, happens all the time. That's okay. But um, the books, uh, the, the character that I most enjoy is Jack McAvoy. He's in th- only three of the Connolly books so far. Okay. He's a journalist. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why I do. But, but the plots are so intricate and so compelling. The poet, the scarecrow, and I forget what the most recent one is, but all three of those are excellent reads. And I just, I just enjoy that very much. So I came to Harry Bosch an alternative route. I know Connolly as an author, but. I started watching this, the Amazon series, uh, okay. Bosch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, I know it's based on the Conley series, Hieronymus. You gotta love the guy's name, Hieronymus, but he goes by Harry. It's a Dutch painter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But, but this Amazon series is produced by Titus Welliver, well-known actor, and he's very good in the role. And the, again, the supporting characters around him, his daughters and in, involved and, uh, gets into a lot of the, the league, not just detective work, but the legal aspects of the trial and things like that. So I love the series, Bosch. And I was rewarded just today when somebody 
somebody I referred it to or referred to it came back and said, I'm loving Bosch. I'm Mm -hmm. loving the series. And it's what it's several seasons long. Um, And you talk about, you know, you talk about getting it right. You you put a bunch of cops in a room and have them watch Bosch because whoever they get way down in the weeds on the the back, the back end of what goes on in police work. And it gets it gets real, real specific you know yeah. it's it's pretty good it's a very good series and i know the books are well written also i've mm, heard good things yeah. about them but uh but that's how i came to harry bosch i did have him on my list too but my other cinematic or video is inspector clissa <laughs> does your dog butt it's <laughs> my minky what it is my does your dog butt <laughs> No, it is that a, is not my dog. It I is thought a, you said your dog did not bite. It is not bite. It is, it is a, not my dog. Created by <laughs> it's not my dog. And created Blake by Blake Edwards. Ed, Blake Edwards, Edwards did well, well, famously played by the late great Peter, Peter Sellers. Sellers and oh, and, and lots of people. Yeah. There were lots of cameos. There were lo- there were nine. Oh. There were nine films, and then there was I didn't know there were that many Pink films. Panther films. Yeah, yeah, and there were nine of them, and then there was some. Uh, animated uh, films, of course, too. With well, the Pink all Panther. the cartoons that came yeah, out. Yeah, the cartoons that came out. Uh, but Sellers was so great in that role. And yeah, it was a cast of thousands when they would make those movies. I love Steve Martin, but the remake with Steve Martin did not do it for me. So. No, yeah. no. Peter Sellers uh, was it. No, we we, it. we we doubled on that. We don't, we I, don't I, talk about him. Keith I and I don't even would. talk about our top three. I actually so. figured we would double on uh, <laughs> Inspector Clouseau. So many great lines. So many great bits. Oh, love it. But I can use I can use for my. You got an honorable but, mention? Yeah, I got one that it just it just came to me, and he's and he's not, and he isn't a um he's not a detective. Interestingly enough, he is a paper uh, newspaper man. He's a reporter. Good old Fletch, which I thought were hilarious movies. He dressed up as Chevy Chase. He's he's silly, and then there's John Hamm who just did a brand new one. I don't I know if you've know seen. Yeah, John Hamm plays plays Fletch. I did not know Hamm had done a new Fletch. And I again, I love Chevy Chase. I don't know. Maybe it was a time in my life I just didn't. You didn't like I know, that one? No, I love. Pe- I know people who love them, but it didn't do it for me. But that, you know, that's why they have it. I call it a horse race because everybody has a different favorite. So. The story was was funny. Yeah. I, I love it when he does his characters. And he well, he's all... he's a, he's a great com- comic actor and comedian. But uh, yeah, well, that's good. Anyway, well, I've got I've got a couple of of honorable mentions. Well, the great James Bond, of course, is not really a detective, not but a sleuth, not a I'm gonna sleuth. Call, but I'm going to call foul on right. that. James okay. Bond is not a sleuth. Okay, fine. What about Maxwell Smart? In, not a sleuth. Not a sleuth. Spy. Oh, well, okay. Well, he did Spy, a little sleuth. Not a sleuth. Both great characters, but yeah. Okay, I'll just they don't here. fit the I'll category. Just, I'll just sit here and be real quiet. I think you're done. Yeah. Okay. All right, Bye-bye. Richard. We cannot thank you enough for being here. Thank you so much. And we will. I want you. I want to get all of your links where people can find your books. We will promote, publish, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, the covers, pictures of them, and everything else. So uh, we would love nothing more than for you to experience a boon in sales all across the globe from listeners to That's right. We Like That Too podcast. Yes, in all of our countries. And we call our listeners Bond Vivants if you hadn't picked up on that because we love all things good and fun in life. We do. So, congratulations. Thank yeah, you. Thank and you. Congratulations. Oh, on by the, the way, book. is there another one coming? 
Well, that's up to the publisher. <laughs> there is another one finished. Okay. Oh, well, wow. We You're ahead of that. Well, yeah, the, right. the, the fourth one is, well, I say it's done, but my publisher is in hiatus until late June. If they smile upon the, the fourth one, you will you will see a fourth one. All right. Cool. And the, and the fifth Let one. Let us know. You fifth, heard it here first. On the, the fifth one is, is uh, partially in here and partially in the computer. So All right. We're not done yet. Well, this, I'll tell you, this has been enlightening because, again, you're the first author we've had. So congratulations on that. And uh, we'd love to have you back sometime uh, when you have some more stuff to, to promote and talk about. And uh, the best of luck with all your books. Thank We're you, very excited and proud of you and happy to have you as part of our community. And, and uh, so congratulations. You bet. Good to see you. Hey, Bobby Vines. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers. We Like That Too is produced as a labor of love for the enjoyment of Bon Vivants everywhere. To get information about our bottles and links to our guests, go to our website, welikethatpodcast.com. Tune in to new episodes by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, and other popular streaming apps. Please remember to rate, review, and share. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Like That Podcast. So everybody, hey, remember the numbers. One bottle, two good friends, and three top picks because we We like like that that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too.